Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got the business stories behind Stocks on a Move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is August 6th, and this is episode 69. Well, just ahead, would you believe the semiconductor shortage is leading to a run on tires? We'll have that story. Plus, one important solar CEO sees a battery boost on the horizon. And this is a fascinating interview, I promise. Fresh on the heels of a spectacular quarter for Starbucks carriers, President Hamish Norton joins us to explain everything about the global shipping supply chain. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And we hope you listen to this podcast every day, whether it's on your commute, your dog walk, while you're, I don't know, in the shower. But make sure you hit the subscribe button. Follow us so you can listen to every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got the business story behind Stocks and a Move. We'll be doing some drilling down. But first, we've got some news, the three most important developments in the world of business news today with executive producer Isaac Webster. Corey, let's start with jobs. The Labor Department says the U.S. economy added 943,000 jobs in July, and the the unemployment rate fell to 5.4%. The latest data showed some additional workers were drawn off the sidelines and wages rose at a strong rate. The report also shows the U.S. economy is facing any threat posed by the Delta variant with a strong headwind. Yeah, uh, so far, I mean, these are obviously are trailing figures, but mm-hmm. things are real changing really fast on the ground. It's, I mean, I know, uh, as we've talked a lot about in the show, as our listeners know, you were one of those sort of first people to see those breakthrough uh, mm-hmm. infections. Um, mm-hmm. And we're seeing, you know, cutting edge news here on the Drill Down podcast. Let's hope that that doesn't portend to a slowdown in the economy. Yeah, we'll see how it holds up in the months ahead, which everyone says are going but to be so a little these challenging. Numbers, yeah. Good. Really good. And, you know, uh, uh, the the thing that I saw most in this was prime age employment to population ratios ticked up to 77.8%. And that's the biggest increase since last October. So that was that was a really, within the numbers, it really showed that people who are uh, able to work and it's kind of that prime working age are back at work. Nice. Next story, United Airlines will require its 67,000 U.S. employees to be vaccinated this fall. It's the first major airline to take this step as the Delta variant drives a nationwide increase in COVID-19 infections. Airlines, including United, have so far tried to encourage workers to be vaccinated voluntarily with incentives like bonus pay or extra vacation. Since June, United has required that only newly hired employees be vaccinated, a policy that Delta Air also implemented. Uh, But now you've got to be vaccinated if you work at United. 
And the Federal Reserve has lifted restrictions on J.P. Morgan Chase for its role in rigging foreign exchange rates between 2008 and 2013. In 2015, J.P. Morgan was fined $342 million and instructed to improve oversight and controls. This may be the end of J.P. Morgan's regulatory punishment, but potential class action lawsuits loom for the banks as they uh, the banks accused of colluding to rig benchmark exchange rates, including J.P. Morgan. The market for currencies in which $6.7 trillion changes hands daily is the largest in the world. Yeah, well, uh, J.P. Morgan's talked quite a bit about this uh, limitation on their business, so yeah. um, this could be good things for uh, the, the too big to fail the biggest of the two big to fail banks. Welcome news for JP Morgan today. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with that solar provider, Sunrun. Sunrun, RUN shares fell today, but they've gained almost 6% in a year. What's new with Sunrun? Well, certainly the business is a lot bigger right now. The revenue was up 121% year over year in the quarter they reported today at $401 million. They added uh, 26,110 customers, uh, bringing them to almost 600,000 total. That's 19% more uh, uh, in, for their customer growth. Um, Year-over-year guidance, they raised their guidance, saying they're going to grow at 30% in terms of revenue. Um, the customer is picking up more than 25% just quarter over quarter. So really adding a lot of customers, adding revenues, their recurring revenue, that is the, the installs that they've got where they own the panels, the customer doesn't own the panel, $747 million, the average life of a contract, 17 years. So uh, this is this is a you know a business that's kind of built for the long haul as they add in new customers. Um, and uh, now they think their growth rate's going to pick up. They had prior said it was going to be about 27%, 27 and a half. Now they're saying 30%, just time for CEO Lynn Jurek to uh, step out, go to an executive chairman, a co-executive chairman with her husband, bringing in a new CEO. But uh, she had some interesting things to say on the call. I thought the most interesting stuff on the call was about an additional lever of growth that they see coming, which is batteries. So solar installations with the battery, presumably in the garage or on the side of the house, that's a, a fast-growing business. Electric cars, of course, are going to be another part of that. But the cost of those batteries has been very high. And it has kept people from buying the batteries when they buy the solar system. But not everywhere. In a lot of places, the cost of the battery isn't holding them back, but she thinks when the battery cost goes down, more people buy the batteries and uses as evidence people willing to buy the batteries in certain locations, regardless of the cost. Here's CEO Lynn Jurek. The, the cost of the of the batteries have not declined um, with the cost of the inputs. So I think you're going to also see that additional benefit that the value proposition is going to get stronger. So as we've said, you know, in the past, in, in many markets now, it is you know, the vast, vast majority of customers are choosing to add a battery, you know, in Bay Area, it's, you know, almost 100%, you know, and I think as, you know, with some of the changes in California around rates and things, there will be even more encouragement for batteries. You know, in Texas, we went with the storms, we went from, you know, a minority to a majority adding the battery. So I think it could happen quite quickly that the majority of, of solar is paired with the batteries and and the I believe the supply chain will get there. It'll take, you know, a few more quarters, but I believe the supply chain will get there. So super interesting to see people stepping up in places like Texas where they didn't used to, but all they needed was that horrible interruption in power. Now so many people getting batteries there. Uh, I think, as I mentioned, electric car uh, uh, usage will lead to even more batteries in the house. 
Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at DraftKings, also reporting earnings today. DraftKings, DKNG, shares rose today for DraftKings, and they've gained 54% over the past 12 months. So what did they say in their quarterly report? Shares was 54% in the last 12 months. Revenues were 320%. Wow. Almost $300 million, yeah. Um, their uh, B2C business, uh, number of monthly unique players up 281%. Revenue per customer of $80 per customer, and that was 26% higher. So more customers paying more money at scale. Uh, they're raising their guidance saying that they're going to, they previously said they do about uh, 1.1, um, I should say, billion dollars uh, in revenues. Now they're saying they're going to do about $1.25 billion. So substantial increase in what they expect. They also are trying some new things out. They're trying to use their influence with people in the world of sports, both with athletes and fans of sports and betters in sports to get into these crypto business. They're going to sell NFTs based on some of the people they've got relationships with, like Tom Brady, Wayne Gretzky, Tiger Woods, Tony Hawk, Derek Jeter, Naomi Osaka. Uh, so, I, you know, I don't know if there's any actual value in NFTs or not, but they're going to create a marketplace to buy and sell these things because they have the relationships with these athletes and because they're being seen as a place where gamblers go, sports bettors go. And I think what's really interesting here is there's a, a debate. There are so many companies, you know, we talked to Niccolo DeBassi the other day about uh, some of the companies he's involved in, Russian Interactive, and one of the companies he's taken public through a SPAC. And they are also in the sports gambling business and also online mobile sports gambling. The question is, how much room is there for so many companies out there? And maybe right. DraftKings doesn't have an advantage. What they had to say in this conference call is, you know, we're there. Customers know us. We're going to give them more things to buy, sell, trade, and bet on. And right now they think it's working. Listen to what they had to say. This is the CEO uh, talking about, uh, you know, what was going to happen with this NFT business and why he, Jason Robbins, thought it was an intriguing one. Over the long term, I think, you know, being a marketplace, it's important to have the highest or close to highest level of liquidity. People are going to go where there's the most buying and selling when they're posting secondary transactions and things like that, which is true of any two, you know, any, any marketplace really. So, um, I think that is how we're looking at it. We do have a much larger user base than any of the other marketplaces that exist today. So we feel like we're starting from a position of strength, um, much like the daily fantasy user base has helped us as we launch online sports betting into other states. Um, I think that, you know, having a big database with millions of active customers will really be a, a leg up for us. And, and it just comes down to how effectively can we cross sell. And, um, you know, I think we feel pretty good about that, given our track record of selling other cross selling other products. But this is also our first foray into something that's a little bit different. So uh, we're, we're going to have to see how the data shakes out. So, you know, don't get too excited. But they think they've got the right place for these trades and these customers. And they're going to try it out. Corey, what is your next drill down? Goodyear Tire and Rubber, a favorite of ours yes, here on the Drill Down. We've talked about it a few times. GT shares rose today, and they've gained 78% in a year. So what's new with Goodyear? Well, just a fantastic quarter. People mm. are keeping their old cars because they can't get new cars. Right. Because there aren't semiconductors to build new cars. So it's it's this really weird trickle down where right. you have on some level, you know, the least technical product. I mean, tires are technical in their design, but they're... In their implementation, you slap them on the wheel and you drive around, right? It's just right. a piece of rubber and steel. But what's interesting here is that because the semiconductor shortage has so greatly affected car makers, 
that car makers can't make as many new cars as they would like, as much as the market would like. And people certainly have money in their pockets, thanks to uh, stimulus checks and working from home and saving money and so on. They can't buy new cars. They're keeping their old cars. Their old cars need new tires. So they're getting new tires for their old car. And that's been great business for Goodyear. Here's a, a longish soundbite, but I think it's super interesting. The CEO, Rick Kramer from Goodyear Tire and Rubber. The last time we saw really, really worn out tires coming in was in the Great Recession. Since then, it's been fairly consistent. So I wouldn't say that that, that alone is uh, uh, is driving anything. Having said that, you know, your comment about uh, child credit or other government programs putting uh, money in individuals' accounts, I'll tell you, we always see uh, correlations between things like tax returns or, or tax refunds coming back into people's account. And we see that spending manifesting itself out in our channels, uh, a number of them, and <clears throat> particularly across some of the mass market, uh, the mass merchandisers as well that we deal with. So there's definitely a correlation uh, with that going forward. And from a used tire, per, or excuse me, a used vehicle perspective, and the increased value in used vehicles, I would also tell you that yes, absolutely. I think as people keep their vehicles longer. Uh, the importance of tire from a safety perspective uh, and the fact that they're keeping it longer, not turning it back, not leasing, not sending it back on lease or whatever it might be, uh, also plays in people's minds to make sure they have a good set of tires on their on their vehicle. So, you know, that, that business for them uh, with used cars driving that has been just fantastic. And, of course, people getting out on the road again, time to spruce up the wheels. It's so interesting to see this trickle down effect from the semiconductor shortages and holdups to car to you know used car problems. It's just really interesting to see and holdups in the situations. world of shipping, right? Yeah, I mean, just speaking of shipping. Speaking of shipping, uh, this is. I mean, we did this interview just an hour or so ago. So cool! I promise you. Yeah. You will learn something interesting in this interview. The the president of Starbolt Carriers. Hamish Norton joins us, where we talk about these implications of what's going on in the world of shipping, how it affects the prices of everything, and what it means for his really interesting business of bulk shipping. I can look out the window of my office here in San Francisco and see one of their ships. Uh, it's, it's an amazing story, uh, and we'll have that in just a minute. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And remember to join The Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod. And check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. Okay, joining us right now on the drill down is Hamish Norton. He's the president of Starbolt Carriers, which just reported earnings today. Uh, and uh, a, a super interesting company. Now, you're one of our first ever repeat executive guests, uh, Hamish. So I'm going to try to thread the needle between re-explaining what your business is and kind of getting into what we've learned about it of late. So what, what does your company do from a very high level? Okay, from a very high level, we have 128 ships. They carry, the small ships carry 52,000 tons of cargo. The large ships carry 209,000 tons of cargo. And the cargo they carry is basically what you call dry bulk. It's, it's iron ore, coal, grain, 
basically things that you can drop into an open hold from a distance. They don't break. And then you close the hold once it's full. You sail to the destination port and you discharge the cargo typically in a pile at the discharge port. Of course, if it's grain, you have to be more careful with it and, uh, you know, put it in a, in a grain silo and so on. But uh, iron ore and coal, we just put in a pile at the port. And so what, so, so importantly, what your company does not do, you don't, you don't have shipping containers uh, and shipping sort of finished goods or anything of that sort. It really is, they're just giant bulk holds and different sized big ships. Correct. We, we, we carry essentially no finished products except it is sometimes the case that we drop off a bulk cargo, for example, in China, and we may carry a cargo of steel coils, sheet steel basically coiled up, that, is, that can be uh, laid carefully at the bottom of our holds. And if we can carry steel coils back, that is uh, you know, it's very good for the business. But, uh, but uh, well, why is it better than carrying something else back? Well, because there isn't anything else to carry back. Got it. It's, it's usually a one-way trip, or it's often a one-way trip. Correct, correct. Usually oh, we would go empty back. Um, that's, that's super interesting. So, um, and where are the routes typically? Is, is there a typical kind of route of your 128 ships? Well, so the, the, the large ships, um, the 180,000 ton ships to 209,000 ton ships will mostly carry iron ore. And that's okay. mostly from Australia to China or from Brazil to China. Although, um, you know, there's also iron ore uh, from India. There's iron ore from South Africa. Um, and these ships also can carry bauxite from West Africa um, or occasionally coal. Uh, okay. the, the small ships, uh, the 52,000 to 64,000 ton ships, carry just about any dry bulk commodity you can think of. So... They, they, they will carry iron ore, coal, grain, but they'll also carry uh, nickel ore, uh, copper concentrates. In fact, sometimes they, they carry uh, logs, although our ships don't carry logs very much, but other ships of that size uh, often carry logs. Um, I have long had an office right here in the San Francisco Bay. I do once again with the Business Podcast Network and the Drill Down. And I sit out and, well, when I'm doing some reading or something and look out the window at the ships that go by and it's just, it's fascinating to see what they are and where they're going for and, and try to imagine what's in the, what is in the, the, the bulk holes and how important shipping is as a, a function of our global economy. Yeah, I, I, you know, basically, um, you know, almost 100% of world trade by weight <laughs> goes in ships. I think even by value, it's something like 95% of the value of world trade goes in ships. Now, um, that being said, most of the value in world trade that goes in ships is going in container ships. Right. Because that's the high value um, cargo per unit weight. Dry bulk carries... Uh, more weight than containers, but uh, you know, iron ore is 
about $200 a ton. Um, you know, so it, it's not that valuable a commodity. And yet there, there is so much of it and weighs there, so much. There's it, it, it's, it's a huge, there's a huge amount. Yes. So I thought it'd be useful to look at some of the terms in, in your industry and in terms that you, that you guys mm-hmm. uh, use in the reporting of your results and then kind of talk about how your company does with them. So maybe you can explain to me, let me just, as this is kind of like Jeopardy, I'll throw some phrases out and you can respond. Mm-hmm. But so what is a time charter equivalent rate? Okay. So right? sure. So sometimes we time charter our ships and in a time charter, the charterer pays us per day for the use of our ship. He tells us how fast to go and where to go. So he has to pay for the fuel. Okay. Um, and so the, he the has, fuel cost is then out taken out of the of that metric. Correct. Correct. So a time charter, an actual time charter, gets us more or less a net sum uh, per day. And the only thing we have to pay out of the time charter revenue is our operating expense and our overhead. And operating expense basically consists of crew wages. Um, lubricating oil because of course the upkeep of the engine is our concern so we want to make sure that we're in control of the lubricating oil Uh, uh, maintenance spare parts and so on that's operating expense and then overhead is basically the cost of the head office my my salary um, you know uh, your de minimis head office yes exactly Um, and so uh, our Operating cost uh, per day is about four thousand three hundred. Yeah, well, that's the other data I was going to get to is your daily opex, which is another daily opex per vessel, was what you give out. Correct, which is which is about four thousand three hundred per vessel per day, and then there's our overhead, which is uh, something like one thousand three hundred per ship per day. Um, both of which are very uh, low numbers for the dry bulk industry. Well, so let's compare what's happened over the last year. The world is a very different place than it was in the second quarter that you just mm-hmm. reported today. It was very different than the second quarter from a year ago, kind of at the, at the or one would argue me perhaps at the height of COVID um, uh, and the pandemic kind of raging globally. Obviously, there's still great issues going on, but your, 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 your margins have gotten so much better. So while, as, as you suggest, your, your, uh, your operating cost was about a thousand dollars per, um, uh, uh, per day, yeah. um, in the second, uh, last year's second quarter and this year's second quarter, just about the same, your OPEX a little bit higher, went from 4,000 to 4,300, mm-hmm. but your, uh, your daily chart, your TCE, your time charter equivalent, that went from $9,400 to $23,000, uh, just an incredible rise in how much you're yeah. able to charge for a day uh, on the water. Yeah, and and uh, we've booked something like 65% of our fleet for the third quarter uh, at about 28,500 time charter equivalent. Um, so uh, yeah, margin is the wrong way to think about the bulk shipping industry. Oh, really? Um, because... Um, your margin, uh, basically can easily go negative if the charter rate drops below the sum of operating expense and overhead, right? or 
you know, it can go to 85, 90, 95% in 2008. That would seem relevant. Why is that a not, well, not a good way to think about this well, business? Well, yeah, yes, I, I mean, I guess the, the point is that margin changes so rapidly that it's, it's not something that is like a characteristic of the business. Um, you know, the, the revenue um, changes um, from, you know, in, in 2016, in the first quarter of 2016, when China had a, uh, a slowdown, a fairly serious slowdown, we chartered some of our Cape size ships for $800 a day. In 2008, you could charter a Cape size ship, which is a 180,000 ton ship right. for $250,000 a day. So that's a factor Zoinks. of 300 from the bottom of the market to the top of the market in terms of revenue. But I would seem to me that that's very relevant because it changes what you can do with your business in those boom times. When if you've got those boom times, you can acquire more ships, you can yes. buy out other companies, you can pay big dividends. And that, that that variability is the time that the business is doing so well and when there's great money to be made and or expand your business. Yeah, indeed. And and frankly, we're, we're very optimistic about the next several years. Um, Why? Basically, basically because um, the world is insisting quite correctly, I think, that shipping become much less carbon intensive, which is going to mean that um, we need new technologies to power ships. Um, that's a very expensive proposition. But one and, that you've already under, undertaken with your, what's called clean scrubber technology, right? Well, we, 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 we've put scrubbers on our ships, but but the truth is at some point, we're going to have to buy new ships, uh, which will have very different engines that burn very different fuels. And we don't know what kind of engine we need yet. We don't know what kind of fuel we're going to burn. There is some hint that it might be ammonia um, because uh, you, you, you can basically ammonia is three hydrogens and a nitrogen. Right. It's a way of storing hydrogen at fairly high density on a ship and you can burn it uh, as a fuel in an engine. Uh, but you need an engine that's slightly different from any engine that's available today and you need a fuel storage system that's different from any fuel storage system that's available today. And so if you wanted to order a ship, you'd feel pretty stupid today ordering a ship that burned fuel oil only. Um, Interesting. You could, so, you, and yet the ship construction right now is very active. It looks like most of your ships were built in China and Japan, but it seems that it's very active on the container side, yes, not on the dry bulk side. Correct. Because the, basically the container business is booming to an extent that has never been seen in the container business. Um, uh, the The if you like, the cost of moving a container from China to the United States has gone from $1,000 not so long ago up to somewhere over $25,000 today. Wow, for a single container. For a single container. And so the container lines are making enormous money and their customers are 
incredibly mad because the customers of the container lines are unable to move their products. So the container lines basically are saying, okay, we need to add capacity as fast as we possibly can. Um, so shipbuilding is happening in size. Ship, shipbuilding is happening in size. And I think the container lines probably are aware that they're probably overbuilding and that this will probably cause a steep reduction in rates in the future. But, you know, they're, they're addressing a short-term problem that's pretty serious. And frankly, they're making a decade's worth of profits, you know, in a single year. year. Yeah. yeah. And, and how long does it take to build a container ship and or a dry bulk ship? They're about the same. It's 18 to 24 months from the yeah. time the shipyard starts building it. Um, so faster than growing a salmon. Faster than growing months. a salmon. Yes. <laughs> that um, references an earlier show we did this week with a company that's doing genetically yeah. modified salmon that grow in 18 months. And the mm. CEO doesn't like it when I call them Frankenfish. But I digress. <laughs> um, so uh, why are most of the ships, ships built in China and Japan? At least in your fleet. Um, well, there are, there are not too many countries that build large ocean-going ships. Uh, it, you know, essentially all the big ships on the sea are built in China, Japan, or Korea. Um, and Korea specializes in sophisticated ships that need a lot of handwork. So, uh, liquefied natural gas carriers, say, large yeah. large container ships complex tankers. Um, China builds typically simpler ships that still need a lot of handwork, at least the way that the Chinese uh, shipyards build these ships. So they will, they do build most of the dry bulk carriers that get built right now uh, are built in China, but they will build container ships. They'll build some LNG carriers. Uh, they'll build a lot of tankers. Um, now, Japan is an interesting exception to all this. In Japan, the specialty is automating the construction of the ship. So Japan actually excels at building relatively simple ships. Um, they don't give you a lot of options as far as you know customizing the ship, but they will build it with very little manual labor. Um, in a very automated way. And that's how they can compete on price. The Japanese ships are more expensive, but not a lot more expensive. And frankly, they're very well built, very easy to maintain. Um, and, uh, you know, ship owners so like that's having so very a Japanese, Japanese ship. Yes. I like that. It's interesting. Um, so you, you seemed on the conference call today and in our conversation right now, you just seem very... Um, positive about the near term and, and more intermediate term for your business. What, if, if you could summarize that in just a kind of a overview, what would that be? Well, uh, you know, basically the demand for dry bulk transportation is growing more or less in sync with the world economy. So grows slowly, but fairly steadily. Um, but the dry bulk fleet of ships is growing very little and there are very few new building orders um and in fact the the order book of new buildings is the lowest fraction of the dry bulk fleet that it's been in history it's it's between five and six percent 
of the dry bulk fleet, uh, the, the total order book from, you know, now onwards. And as I was saying, it, there is no incentive to order a ship because the ship that you know you will want in 2030 is a ship that you can't order today. You, you want a ship that can burn low or zero carbon fuel. And, you know, there, there are ideas about what that will be. And probably but we're not there yet. We're not there yet. So, would it, you know, you had so many questions in your conference call today about acquisitions and acquiring either ships or companies mm -hmm. that own them. It, there's got to be a price at which that makes sense where it can add to, and I won't repeat what you said, well, whatever. You were asked three times, I'll ask you to repeat it again. Sure. Under, well, under what uh, conditions would you acquire ships or a company that has them, knowing that you might not want to own these ships, you know, 10 years from now? Well, okay, so, so buying a five or 10-year-old ship is a much less dangerous thing to do when you when you're pretty sure that you need a new kind of ship in 10 years then ordering a new building which you're not going to get for two or three years and then it will be brand new and then all of a sudden it's going to be sort of very suboptimal in a world of yes right yes so so it is attractive to buy a five or ten year old ship in the water right now um we expect frankly that um you know we're we're going to do quite well and we expect our share to trade quite well and you know we expect to be able to use our share to make acquisitions that are are going to be able to increase our earnings per share increase our dividend per share um, you know, increase uh, our so-called net asset value per share, which is sort of the, the net value of the, the private market value of the, the fleet. Um, and, uh, you know, probably delever the company at the same time. Uh, because you're using and, stock, not debt. Correct. And you're able to put the cash to make the debt go away. Correct. Uh, let me ask you, well, well it's, it's an interesting time for your business, certainly. And uh, uh, let me ask you one last question. You've got about 128 ships, a vast majority, but not all of them start with the name Star. Why don't they all start with the name Star? Because some of them were acquisitions and we didn't change the name. <laughs> well, when you change a name to one, if you get to Star Drill Down, in fact, I'll give you that one for free. If you just want to name <laughs> one of the ships the Star Drill Down, I think that'd be an excellent call. Yeah. But I might be a little biased. Hamish Norton is the president of Starbulk Carriers. Uh, fascinating business. Love talking to you. Thanks for coming out on the day of your call. We appreciate that as well. Uh, coming up next, the drill down bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot. How many of those ships, of the 128 ships, start with the word star? We'll have that number for you as the drill down bite when the drill down continues. The drill down is brought to you by ERA, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. ERA's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms by clicking subscribe and following us. You can make sure you don't miss a single show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. I mentioned there are 128 ships in the Starbolt carrier fleet. 
How many of them start with the word star? You're dying to know, mm, Isaac. Yeah. 104 of the 128 ships. We've got the star Bright. We've got the star Calypso. We've got the star Electra, the star Dorado, the star Cleo, the star Janie, the star Laura. We've got the star Moira. We've got the star Monica. The star Moira. Moira. I would love to ride that one. The star the, Mona? Mo Moira. Star Pegasus? Sure. None of these are fun to ride. They're bulk carrier star ships. Bright? But they you can have a big party have, on top there, on the top deck. You could, you could. There is a Star Bright. Yeah, you're right. That's, but, that's my uh, second uh, favorite. But there is no Star Drill Down yet. Oh. Now, what, what's the other naming convention of the other? The there isn't 20? one. Um, there is oh. one called Stardust that is one word. Ooh, Stardust. I like that. There's one called Strange Attractor. Oh, I like that one too. There's Wolverine, Big Bang, Big Fish, Debbie. Big Fish, Debbie. I found one for you. Who is, what is it? The Diva. It's a Supermax. <laughs> Just right. All right. You've been listening to the Drill Down. We do appreciate your time. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our executive editor. Uh, Maggie Renshaw is our senior producer. Samantha Fennell handles sales. We're glad to have them all. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network. Thank you.